Yeah, what is going on, everybody? We are back with another episode of From My Experience Podcast. I am your host, Rob, and I'm feeling great this evening. Things have been going pretty well in my life. Few shifts, few changes. Always good, always moving forward, always moving up. But I want to take this time to do what I always do at the beginning of the podcast, and that's thank you, our supporters, those of you who are listening, who like, subscribe, follow. Thank you so, 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 so much. And a special thank you to those of you who support us through our affiliates. Make sure you check out our link tree link in the description and check out our affiliates. I am not alone this evening. I have the co-host with the most who is always vibrating higher, Miss Jessica Fountain. Hello, world. Hello, Rob. Y'all, I have so many jokes I want to crack, and they'll be coming he over does. the next few episodes. He is ready to unload the chopper. Over the next few Shoot, episodes, y'all are, y'all thought I got on her nerves before? Just wait. I don't know. Like, it, you talk about moon phases. You in a phase two, but I'm, I'm just fantastic. trying. As with all great relationships, there are these phases, and you have to just navigate each phase. And so... Our relationship is no different. Like, this is a true friendship bond, like, thing that we do here. And so, whoo, my work hubby is just, ha, ta, ta, pa, ta. I got, like, five work yeah. while no? now. Great. Oh, so this is, like, what is, what, what are we in? <laughs> this polygamist relationship. Listen, I don't say anything. Y'all be snatching me off the market multiple times. Huh. Anywho. Ain't none of them supporting me when I won my award either. Uh, I ain't win no award. Uh, <laughs> we have a special guest this evening. <clears throat> uh, reading through his questionnaire, I was like, yeah, I got some questions. <laughs> because I know that this brother's way of expressing himself in the art, art form that he is involved in takes a lot of uh, mental capacity, um, personal passion, desire, and true love. And wow, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say too much. I'm going to let him tell his story when we get into the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, we have award-winning international spoken word artist, Mr. Wayne Henry. Hey, what's going Woo! on? What's going on? Thank you for having me. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. So happy that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> Took some time, but you know. <laughs> oh my God, people. The, the, the jokes on this uh, podcast today. I, I feel like I should have probably brought a vest of some sort, like a bulletproof vest for, for the slugs that are coming my way today. I, I feel it, but no, anywho. No comment. Welcome to From My Experience Podcast. So happy to have you here. What were you saying, Rob? No, I said no comment. Go ahead. Great. <laughs> well, we're going to hop right into this interview because you do have several accolades and awards as a um, poet, uh, just using your art form and expression to inspire others and, and advocate from, you know, mental health to um, social justice, all these different pieces. Uh, how did you get into poetry? Um, there's a book I read in middle school called um, A Hero Ain't Nothing But a Sandwich, right? Hmm. And um, we had to pair up and read it together. And I had a classmate who, had, like, that was my first crush, and she liked poetry. So um, I would just, like, plagiarize 112 songs and read it to them as poetry, read it to her as poetry. And then after that, I just really started writing, you know, on my own. And I stopped maybe like freshman year and picked up the pen probably about six years ago. Wow. Yeah. And you're really good at it. Your word choice, that's what I remember the first time. So we did a writing class together and you came in a little bit later after the class had started and this was with Rage. And I was like, wow, he can really write. <laughs> And so since then, I've been following you and the rest of the Dallas Poetry Slam, like just a um, uh, really great way of metaphors, um, 
some of your stuff gets dark for me and I, yeah. <laughs> which is good because it, it encourages people to feel, uh, which I think people should feel, uh, but I'm an empath. So I have to be mindful like of that barrier. So yeah, Rob, were you? What? Your face. I'm listening. Oh, this oh, is fire. Face. Okay. I'm fired. So it was um so about that workshop, Rage had the um recipes rage, he had the um white bloody workshop. And um he was like, Wayne, come to the workshop, come to the workshop. I'm like, no, you on my team, like I beat you. Like I'm not coming to your workshop. Right? <laughs> so he wanted me to come just to show other poets like you you're never too good to keep learning. And mm -hmm. that was kinda our thing. And I just supported anything the man did. He had like karaoke Tuesdays at Heroes. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm there, drunk as hell, front row, singing <laughs> We Can't Be Friends. Like, yeah, it was amazing. It is. Um, so for those of you that don't know, Rage Almighty is uh, was an amazing poet and is your one of your mentors. How did you and Rage meet? Um, I have, so it was the old Heroes in, um, Green, off Greenville Road in North Dallas. Mm -hmm. And um, I saw literally the night before he was on VH1's Verses and Flow. Huh. And that made me Google like poetry in Dallas, right? So I walk into the bar and he's sitting at the bar. I'm like, oh my fucking God, you're Rage Almighty. I saw you on TV. He was like, yeah, and I look fat. He was like the most self-deprecating <laughs> person ever. <laughs> I'm like, yo, you're, you, I'm like a fan. I just literally saw you last night. And uh, my first open mic wasn't an open mic. It was an actual slam. I read off a piece of paper, and it's just been on since then, man. Like, he really liked my style, and, and he just always saw my potential, even when I didn't. Like, I used to write some horrible fucking poetry, and mm -hmm. he was like, you're not taking your time with it. And we grew because he admired my hunger, and I liked how good he was. And we just ended up, what turned into, like, a mentorship, and then a friendship to like a brotherhood, man. It, it was some of the best years of my life um, being on stage and traveling and touring with them. Wow. wow. Rage was a good dude. Rage is uh, past deceased at this moment, um, but he was a really good person, a good person to know and inspiring. That is also my experience with him of just a person that I feel like I, if there was a totem pole like, as artistic as I am, I feel like I have, I'm so undeveloped, undeveloped as a poet. And so, uh, but he was able to, in taking your point of being seen and someone that can see, see your potential. I think that is really important, like, when you are in any new craft or any, not even new, any craft in general, whether that's in your case, poetry or, you know, entrepreneurship or uh, teaching, education, all of these different fields, to have somebody see your potential in incubator format is really powerful. And it's a nurturing that you can't really get on your own. Like, it's kind of like the baby, the baby can't feed itself. Like, so a baby still needs something to pour into it um, and feed it and, and help it, nourish it to be where you are today, which, like you said, you're always growing, you're always establishing yourself. But um, that that's a really powerful, when, when we can be that, which is what I take away from Rage's life, is um, seeing people and hearing people and being able to pour into them because he did that with me. He was like, no, don't like build on that, unpack that. And that's something I've learned to do. I hear that if there was anything else that I can see him saying that and hear him saying that unpack it because yes. there's so often in poetry, we stop and it's like, yeah. no, I need it to. It gets uncomfortable. It gets uncomfortable right. for us to write. Right, until you back out. <laughs> and when you're writing, mm -hmm. you like it's such a vulnerable space. You want to get out of it really quick. And he was like, no, no, no. <laughs> and so just that one sentence alone, unpack that is what he taught me. And it's so much, it was so bigger than poetry. Like it's bigger than it's bigger than my writing. It's something I even 
when I'm having conversations with people, if I get stuck, if they're communicating to me, like it, it has just shifted my whole like mental state of like, give me more, unpack that. Like, where are we going? What is this? So, um, yeah. Yeah, because uh, again, I, I find my I say that as well. Unpack that, like he's hammered that into my brain. Because so often, what the problem is, it's always just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much mm -hmm. behind it. Mm -hmm. So once you remove it and actually get to exploring it, you realize, like, okay, it wasn't pain. It was, it was, it was joy that I didn't take for granted or, or took for granted. It's, the the human emotion is so crazy. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's really important that we don't like just kind of pack it to the side and be like I uh, so sort itself out like unpack it that's the word yes right yes uh I question for you I kind of want to backtrack now I know you said you started writing what in middle school and said you stopped for a, how, how long did you stop for and why did you stop um, from freshman year up until like I graduated in 2006 so um from 2000 uh <laughs> My freshman year, so that would have been like 2003, 2002, 2003. Mm. I didn't pick up a pen and start writing again until like 2015, 2016. Um, I stopped because I just like, I, I, I'm from South Central Los Angeles, went to school in Compton. Like, you can't be that dude walking around yeah, writing poetry. I, 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 was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna ask you what life was like in South Central, man. So that oh. I was gonna ask you if that had an impact on you not being able to really fully express yourself. It really did, man. But I think that's a lot of black families where um, I don't like the word product of my environment, but because I had an amazing father. A lot of it is just being an impressionable kid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You want to want to be perceived some type of way. You have an image that you want to portray to other people. Mm -hmm. And being a poet wasn't going to give that image off. You know, like, um, you don't want to fight every single day, but you want to scare people enough to where they leave you the fuck alone. Right. So me sitting there writing poetry, I'm, that's like kick my ass written on the back yeah, of my shirt. You I know? could imagine, man. So... What was the defining moment? Because there is some break in that where you go from this, you, you feel like that's not what you should show to where you're like, if it, I, regardless, I need to do this for me or, you know, I'm passionate about this. Like, what was, what did that shift look like? Um, the shift was, I would say I stopped writing poetry. I never stopped writing. I kept a diary. I kept a diary. I always... Okay. I was always big on saying, writing down what I felt in order for that feeling not to take over me. Okay. Um, the break happened. I put away the poetry. I put away the pen. And um, when I started back up in 2005, 2016, it was just, I was just in an emotional overload. You know, mm -hmm. I was in a relationship at the time where I wasn't happy. I was dating and nobody could make me happy. And I'm mad at the person I'm dating. Like, it's their job to make me happy. And and I had a talk with my father and he was like, you need to like basically unpack what it is you're mm -hmm. going through before you hand your shit to other people. I'm like, yo, right. fix, make me smile, make me make, improve my life, which is fucking insane. But that was how I was thinking. Mm -hmm. And once I started writing, like the floodgates just opened up. Um, I, I, I reintroduced myself to the word metaphor and the meaning and how beautiful it is to take something so broken and not make it sound good, but make you feel good about owning it. Right. Ooh. That, that was it. Because <laughs> that's that like was... a... <laughs> No, because that's it. It's like, sometimes we... It ain't no pretty picture to it. It's not like... It's not about the daisies or the, the sunshine. It's like that experience... It, the experience of it and what the lesson in it and what you learn from it and how it, it transformed you that is like like you said make you feel good owning it and I think so many people are running from their their um disregarding ownership over things that they should own like like you said it is your environment that's your environment though which makes you uniquely special because all of the things that are going on around you 
and what's going on in your household and what's going on in your process is like cultivating you. And then when you can own all all of those pieces, I feel like we can we can elevate. But if you're trying to hide a piece and you only, only want to highlight no this piece, but this piece over here is the piece that got you to be able to highlight, like you have to tell the full story, which is, I mean, I, exposure. That's what that is. Like you have to be able to expose the broken pieces because through that, there's such beautiful complexity that comes out of that. And a lot of people are living in these like glass houses instead of like, screw that, shatter the whole thing and just show the show it. Like, um, and, and, and this is not to say like, um, you can't, like, you have to tell everything about yourself. Right. I think it's, if you choose to speak on this, and if you're not properly unpacking it and, and showing us what it is you're actually going through, we're not healing from it, and neither are you. Right. Like, it doesn't have to be a timeline thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's something Ray taught me. Like, he was like you, there's no accountability in this form. I'm like, what do you mean? But did you hear that metaphor, though? He's like, but what are you saying? Like, mm. you're, you're not holding yourself accountable in this poem. And once mm -hmm. I got that in my brain, it was like, damn, okay, that's when poetry actually starts to heal. It is not therapy. It is no in no way right. a substitution for therapy. But it's good. for. It's a start. It's a fucking right. it's start. It's a trigger. It's a trigger to help the, to healing. <clears throat> it, it triggers you to heal. It triggers you to, to own, like you said, own that space. Like, dang, I used to feel that way. And the way you said it, you can see hope so that if you have hope, then you can get the healing. But you can't, if you don't expose these pieces, and again, like you said, it's not about just showing everybody something. It's about, you know, creating that, um, the, the impact in like, this is what I went through these things. This is what I learned in, you know, expressing that. Very true. Very true. Did I cut you off? I felt like you was about to say something. <laughs> no, you didn't. You didn't. Okay. Um, I was gonna say, what 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 place mentally do you take yourself to when you get ready to write? Because I'm listening to you talk, and I can see the passion, and I can hear the passion, and I'm just curious as to what your process looks like when you're getting ready to put a piece together. Um, it always comes from like the most random shit, man. Um, each poem, I wish there was like a blueprint that I can show you, and like this sounds done. <laughs> But each poem is always inspired by something random. Um, an example, um, I was watching, one of my kids was watching something, and they were like, there's 17 different species of penguin, and only two of them live in the cold, but yet we still associate penguins with cold weather. Wow. And instantly in my mind, I'm like, damn, that's that's something, right? That's something. So <laughs> I, 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 and what came about was um, bulls aren't provoked by the color red, the colorblind. Um, camels don't store water in their hump. It's the overstate blood cells that helps them delay dehydration. And it's funny how we hear things and think them to be true, like black men but are suspect without any real evidence, just just the 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 hearsay, the the stereotype, right? The mm -hmm. poem the poem that came out of it was just about being stereotyped. Mm -hmm. And we're that every single day, especially when it comes to people that don't match our skin color, man. It's it's insane. And so, like, that, to answer your question, it always comes from just random shit, man. Just, I love reading. I like listening to music. I love listening to talk radios. And I'm always hearing something. And my it goes in my brain. And my brain just does this thing with it. And it comes out. Like, I... The you write random because I, I never would have thought someone could get a poem from hearing about uh, a bunch of different species of penguin. <laughs> it's insane, but when you realize that every, like all poetry is like, if you have to put it like poetry is this, is something like this. It's just a comparison of something. Mm -hmm. No matter how deep the poem if you're comparing it to something, you know, and so once you realize like everything in this world, there's a lesson in it. There's something to be, something to dissect and make for yourself. You know what I mean? Like, it's, some lessons aren't for you, really, but every lesson, like, if you pay attention to it enough, you'll find something in there for you. Like, I tell my kids, well, what did you learn today at school? Nothing. We already did that before. Like, there's something in your day 
we're always learning. We're always mm-hmm. learning. There's always something you can apply to yourself. Well, yeah. I, I got another question for you because we talked about environments. <clears throat> so how much of an impact did it have on you when you, you know, left South Central and how'd you end up in Texas? Oh, man. Um, I was raised by my father and you can't sneak by. We see you. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I was raised by my father in um, South Central Los Angeles. I never met my mother. Um, I get a call from her the summer before my senior year and she, I, I was getting in a lot of trouble. So she called and was like, Hey, I want to see you graduate. You mind coming down to Texas so I can watch you graduate. Like just come out there and spend my soft, my senior year there. So I came out here and they say, come to Texas, come for vacation, stay on probation. Like I came to visit um, <laughs> senior year. A case, a five-year probation. Mm. So I was stuck here, but I also built a family. My kids are here, but like, it was a fresh start. Like I had to actively seek trouble when I came out of here. When I came out of here, like it was Texas is so laid back. Like now that I'm looking back on it, yeah, you got some heads, but it's so laid back. It's so chill. The love in the South is. I would never move from Texas. Like I would travel, but I would. I wouldn't. I can't think of any place I'd call home but I ended up coming out here stayed for probation and by the time I was done with probation I had children so like might as well start a life out here right you know makes sense (laughs) makes a lot of sense um I did want to ask you one more question because again I saw your passion when you were talking about you know one of the people that inspired you rage almighty um how did this passion impact your craft like what what impact did that have on you because I, I have a few mentors they're all still with me thank god but i i don't know man like, i don't even want to think about that and you've gone through that and i you know you talk about it being more than a, fr- a friendship it's a brotherhood so what were some of the things you were thinking and feeling and you know how did that affect you i was like i'm never gonna be on the slam team again i'm done with dallas poetry like i really uh, the, but what 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 I was in Albuquerque when I got the news of him passing, and I was about to leave Albuquerque to come back to Texas because I was touring. Let's just check on him and the family, and I just heard his voice in my head, like "Get your money, nigga." Like, I'm go, I'm dead, I'm gone, but that don't mean you can't, you got, you can't stop handling your business. That was the rageous thing, like never stop handling your business. I don't care what's going on in life. Take a break, but get back on it. So. It, it actually opened me up. I thought I was an open writer, but my poetry got has gotten so much honest since then because the things that he always wanted me to write about, I would do it every now and then, but I found myself, uh, especially during the beginning of the pandemic, just going back through our text messages, reading the conversations and the different poems. He was like, yo, if you write about this, this this is your this is your poem. I watch this movie or or check out this song. I just went back and it, it was like I time traveled when he passed. I time traveled through our friendship. Mm. I scrolled all the way back to 2015 and just reading the messages, reading the little nuggets that I didn't even think was nuggets. Like I took them for granted. He's one of the best poets on the planet, but I got to see him every day, practice with him every day, tour with him every day. So I kind of took it for granted. To where we travel, they'd be like, oh my God, it's raised. I'm like, it's just raised, right? It's... <laughs> but it was when he was gone, I was like, yo, you were a fucking genius, you know? And it's, I, I, get, I, I know I sound crazy by saying I time travel, but y'all, that's what it felt like. Just reading those messages and remembering the smell of the restaurant we were at when we were having these conversations. and. And once that was my grieving process, once I came out of that, I was like, okay, it's time. It's time to um, face poetry in the way I've been too afraid to in the past or write about the things that made me truly uncomfortable, right? Because mm-hmm. that's all he ever wanted me to do. It's mm-hmm. like a breakthrough. Yeah, man. Yeah. And I just. You gotta know him, but I could just hear him laughing at me at certain shit. Like I just, I just look up to the rock sky and be like, "Fuck you, Rage!" Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> situations. Just, but it's building me. It's making me better. And I think that's why I have very few friends now. Not because you have to do something for me or affect my life in a certain type of way. You can be in my life, and I know, like he set the standard the same way he set the standard for poetry. 
he set the standard for brotherhood, mm-hmm. compassion, work ethic. Like, I can talk to a poet, they're like, yeah, I really want to do it. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you mm-hmm. don't. <laughs> so his death, it, 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 it sucked at first, man. But once I actually went through the process, those, those, those five, those five um, stages of grief, I came out a better person, a better father, a better poet, like. What, what was one area that was hands off before, as you speak of these, these areas that you were not ready to dive into that you've dove into now that you, that have, you've found healing in or grieved through? Oh, my toxic. My my t- I hate saying the phrase because it's so used so much, but it's real. I just want to find a new word for it. But my toxic masculinity, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I was always aware of it, but I never saw the issue in it. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and his thing was like, if you write about it, I promise you, you'll see what the fuck I'm talking about when it comes to this. Why you're having problems in these relationships? Why mm-hmm. why this is going this way? And so when I sat down and started writing. Sometimes a poem is a, is a puzzle, right? And if you're true to what you're putting on that paper, you are piecing together something about yourself that you didn't even know. Right. So once I finished it, I'm like, yo, I'm fragile as fuck, right? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a hard head. I, I, I have a tough exterior. But when this happened, you shrink. You feel less than. You don't know how to sit comfortably in silence with your own insecurities. Mm. And it was like... Yes. Wow. It's kind of like every time you write, you row. Man, and it makes you approach manhood differently. Like, I'm not saying, like, I have to walk around with a cigar and a tattoo on my arm. Like, I just had this image of what I, how I felt men should operate in this world. Mm -hmm. Um... And once I just, again, unpacked why I felt mm-hmm. that way, you're just protecting yourself, right? And mm-hmm. you you gotta, you can't protect yourself in that type of way because to build your immune system, as an example, you gotta play with some dirt, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once you're, you're used to your most vulnerable, valuable pieces being shown, it doesn't make them invincible. It, 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 it keeps its weakness. Are the weakness, it just changes. It just, you can live, it's as simple as living with yourself. You learn to live with yourself in peace. And that shit is beautiful, man. It is. It's yes. beautiful to hear, especially for, like, I, as a black woman, I, you know, um, there's brotherhood and there's sisterhood. And so women, you know, are vested, we, we talk about therapy, but often, like, having that talking to black men that disconnect going back to their toxic masculinity i know you don't like the word but like that that phrase it it's real whether no matter what word you put on it and it's not and it's so many people are just so like in your case like you said i was always aware of it but some people are just utterly unaware like and not even knowing how to tap in and so it is it's good to hear. It's refreshing to hear because it, it moves, I think, the needle of our culture forward when we're all finding healing, like collectively, not just um, not just at a barbershop or not just at the hair salon. Like we're fine. We're, we're able to coalesce in our um, in our healing, like, and share those things in an open platform like this openly, not just with the one person that you trust. So what happens when that one person, uh, you lose, uh, some type of trust with them because they made a mistake and they're human and they, they acted out of their ignorance of life. It's like, now you've only put all your trust in that one person and then they fail you and then you break. And like a lot of us are, are holding on to so much and dealing with so much. So it's really refreshing to hear you um, and any black man person, like it doesn't have to specifically do with race, but to hear us healing amid all the chaos of the world. Like, I mean, every week we're talking about the things that are happening and 
I think they become harder and more more toxic when you're not finding that personal self-discovery healing because now you just you totally feel attacked like if you yeah. if you're not realizing that some of the stuff I just need to heal so um it makes me smile just listening to you express that so vividly um but yeah it's, it's, it's real it is real and also you talk about like having that person right they're not our therapists, right? Like our friends, our job as friends is to be there. But sometimes like you, we don't understand how our dumping of the baggage affects the people that we love because they care right. enough to listen. Yep. Right. You know, so I, I, so I started therapy back in the middle of October. You know, when I tell you this is the best decision I've ever made in my life, right? And, and I'm trying to get my homies on. They just look at me crazy. And I'm like, I know that look. I, I, <laughs> I feel you 100%. Cause I felt the same way, but I'm like, yo, just do one session. It's, it's Zoom. You can do it on Zoom now. Like, just do one session. You yes. owe yourself one. And if you feel the need to go forward, which you will, like, go for it, man. It, it, again, right. we're a broken community. We're broken. We're broken people. We are a broken race. Right. And we have to do everything in our power to make sure that we fixing up ourselves for the next generation. We can't keep passing off these skeletons as heirlooms. You know what I mean? Like, Right, and we have not. become to identify with some of that brokenness as who we are, as an identity. And, like, that's, that piece ain't even our culture. Like, if you really d take the string and follow the string all the way back ancestrally to the beginning of who we are, that ain't in our DNA. But because you only followed it back to your your mother or your father and their mother and their father, which is just a generational uh, cycle. It, it you can you have to keep going. You got to go back as far as you can. And many of us don't know our history. We don't know these things. We just think that oh, that's just how I am, and you know that's not my thing. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Like therapy is really good because our friends and family, no matter how amazing they are, no matter how much. Like, uh, me and Rob talk about this when, like, like, can you handle this today or can you not? Like, what, what do you have? Like, can you receive this? Because you might have, I might have something. He might have something. You're going through, you don't want to dump on people because we all have our days. And even if their intention is to be there for you, they cannot be everything to you. Like you said, you can't find some, all of your happiness. A person can't serve you in all of your happiness. Your happiness is mm -hmm. yours. And you got to find that. And you got to like connect with, now that I know what my happiness is, it's like a magnet. You go now link up with the person that can facilitate, like that, like uh, charge it, not not deposit it. <laughs> like yes. it, it's, it's there's a big difference. And I think a lot of people are looking for the person to make them happy or to bring this level of happiness in their life. And that starts totally within. And I'm a major advocate for therapy too. Um, I just, I, I would love for all of us to have it because there's so much unhealed trauma within our community specifically. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, all we can say is yeah, y'all. Uh, I want to get into. I know you say you're not you're not big on titles or anything, but man, you have won a lot of competitions. Um, and if I'm thinking of the timeline from when you started writing against and when you started winning, it was pretty soon after. Um, do you remember your first experience with competing and what that was like for you versus when you actually? Took, took home the grand prize. Oh man, the first time I can, I, the first time I got on the mic, it was a slam. Like I didn't know what a slam was. I just want, wanted to share it. So right. I my Tell the people what a slam is in case they don't know. So a slam is a competition uh, between poets. Um, you're judged by five random mem members of the crowd. They score you on a scale of one to 10 based off of um, 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 writing, um, delivery, performance, and um, why is this word escaping my mind? Content, and um, they they score you off that. And uh, 
So that slam, I, I got on stage, did a poem. When I walk off the stage, people was like, two, 3.7. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> I just want to tell y'all about my day. Like, this was just like a quick 30-second poem, y'all. But um, from that point on, I'm competitive in by nature, man. So once I realized, like, again, working under rape, this dude writes poems. You just sit there like, how the fuck did your brain get to that point? You know, so just being around competitive poets, um, understanding what the craft is, understanding what the uh, rhetorical effects are with the words I'm saying, being able to connect with my story, getting getting other people to feel how I'm feeling. You don't even got to agree with me, right? I promise, like, not to sound conceited or anything like that, but once I understood, my only job as a poet is to get you to understand what it is I'm saying. Mm. You do not have to agree with me. And once you get those five people in the room or the entire room to understand, when you walk off that stage and they say, huh, I get it now. You win. You have won. Yeah, clearly you have the winning formula. <laughs> what what moment stands out to you the most? Um, with Slam, I would say just be, being on the team, being on the Slam team, um, those are memories and moments. Like, it's fun to do it individually, but when you're on the team, you have to rely on your teammates to go up and score well, too. Yeah. With, um, just two or three man group pieces, and uh, again, I'm I'll, I'm gonna say his name a lot in this interview because he has so much to do with my poetry. But me and Ray were like Shaq and Kobe, like we would walk into tournaments and competitions. They'd be like, hey, he's <laughs> if Rage don't win, I'm a win. This you looking at first and second place right here already. <laughs> so it's just that work ethic of, and it's not about being the best. It's it's not about being better than other poets, right? That's where a lot of slam poets get it messed up. You have to be the best version of yourself. There's a, a wonderful poet named Ed, Ed Mabry. You cannot beat Ed Mabry by trying to do what Ed Mabry does. A lot of, again, the most authentic poems, the most agreeable poems are the most poems that you can understand or relate to. And also the most authentic poet. Those are the combination. There's no like real formula to win because mm -hmm. slam is, again, it's five random people in the crowd, right? Yeah. Like their opinions really don't mean shit, right? But you got to score because it's a sport. But the most authentic poet, the most honest, open poet, the, those are, those, that's what's going to win because the judges, they, they stop scoring your poems after that first round, now they want you. What about you? Set, what sets you aside from everybody else in the slam? If mm. once they find that, it's rap. You can go up there and say your ABCs. They'll score you well because it's you. Authenticity. Yep. So have you ever experienced stage fright and like going up had a moment of that and if so what did you do to come out of that because i feel like a lot of people become intimidated going back to show uh, exposing themselves and saying saying pieces of whatever their craft is they get scared to tell people yeah um i'll be honest after my first time doing it i haven't had stage fright my mind is so set on my message, it's so occupied with dealing with my message that mm. nobody in the room even matters. Like when I'm doing poems, yeah. I'm not looking at people. I'm like looking at your forehead or around you or the light in the back of the room. Like I'm, I, that's like y'all seen the movie Soul when they like the zone that you get into. <laughs> that's just, I go into the zone. I don't hear the claps. I don't hear the cheers. I, I just hear my message. I hear my heartbeat. I hear my purpose mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. walk off stage. I don't, and anytime that I do listen, the times where I'm up there and I'm just having one of those days where I can't sync with myself, that's when I mess up my poems. I'm looking at them, looking at me, and I'm like, am I, I'm thinking in my mind, am I saying the words to this poem right? I even said that on stage at one time. Like, am I saying this poem right? 
And the, my team's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like you, your poetry, like, you can be entertaining. You can be entertaining. I love being entertaining with my poems, but you got to have a special place in your mind and your heart when you step on that stage because there's so many different variables that could happen if you're not in tune with what you're doing, your message. So no to the stage fight, like, nah. Awesome. That's good. <laughs> okay. Uh, I only got one more question for you. I feel like we might need to have you for a part two because there's some other things, but I, I want to be mindful and respectful of your time. And I want you to talk about the people who inspire you. Now, you talked about Rage Almighty, but you also mentioned the mother of your children and your children. So tell us about how they inspire you. Oh, man. Um, I'll start with the mothers of my children. Um, like, my first night going to an open mic, right? Maybe, no, not even the first time. Maybe, like, a month of doing poetry. I was like, yo, this is my future. I'm quitting my job. Mm. They was like, what? Nigga, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I know it don't make sense, but y'all trust me. Like, this is the thing. I mean, you looking at you. I'm looking two strong black women in the eye, saying like, "Hey, I'm quitting this nine to five to possibly not make a lot of money for a long time." And because they've known me for so long, they're literally my best friends, man. They awesome. looked at each other, they thought about it. They were like, "Nigga, make it quick. Like, whatever you about to do." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pushed me man like when i'm writing a poem and i'm trying to get in my zone i'm trying to put a piece together they don't know shit about poetry man they don't really <laughs> care but they'll walk in be like oh that ain't gonna win that ain't gonna that, that ain't gonna win it right there i'm like shit right i just go back at it wow know? yeah they, they just pushed me man and i have a poem dedicated to them on youtube man it, it was without them like there's no me like they are my I got like two Michelle Obamas, y'all, but like not like in a poly way, but like two women, two yeah. strong black women that want to see me succeed, man. Like I cannot lose. You're not going to beat me in this slam because those two women want me to win. I have to win for them. Bye. Good night. Give me the trophy. I'm gone. You know, um, that's a different type of energy. That's like Jesus mm. Christ, man. And I didn't realize or appreciate them until after the breakups, right? Better late than never, but like, yeah. shit, I look back, I'm like, these women loved me to a fault. And now my job is making them proud, man. Making them, like, happy. Be like, yeah, that nigga right there, that's the father of my kids. I chose him, and I do the same with them. Like, I'm a relationship is kind of hard to be grounded, man. Like, I ain't got to take this shit, right? But... <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're my battery packs, man, and vice versa. They make me feel like I'm on top of the fucking world, man. Like, like there's nothing I can't accomplish. Because not a lot of people want to see black men win. That's true. Not a lot of people want to see us prosper. They don't even want to see us happy, yo. Like, they hate to see black men smiling. Yeah. And to have two people that want me to be the best version of me, again, not a lot of shit in this world matters as long as them two women. The second that they say no to something, okay, well, all right, what, what else then? Like, there's no discussion. You got me this far. They like my, my managers in a way, man. Like, how are they going to hear this interview and start popping their collars? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I as they that. should. You called him Michelle Obama. I mean, you took it to the top. I, I love it. <laughs> and my kids, like, um, they have motivation for my poetry because we tell our kids, like, you can be whatever you want to be. Yep. And a lot of times, like, there's, there's, there's stipulations to that statement. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they push me to write. I love paying bills, going shopping, buying gifts off poetry. My legacy will be my kids say, yo, this dude just wrote poems for a living and supported our household. 
made sure I had a good childhood. Like, y'all, yeah, um, they a little loud, but um, <laughs> they, they they keep me going. I I'm, I want to be the proof that you you can do whatever you put your heart into. You don't have to work a nine to five. You don't have to do what the world is telling you to do. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll look at me and be like, I can be whatever because my dad went on stage and said words for a living. And it's beautiful, man. Like, and they end up just loud as hell. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what a good childhood sounds like. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Honestly. There's a noise around that house. Wow, man. That, that, is, that is beautiful. Thank you. Uh, I, I gotta. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. You also mentioned Kobe. Uh, <laughs> Kobe Bryant, man. Again, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Yeah. He's my Jordan. Um, he came to my school when I was in like the fourth or fifth grade, and I'm like, he was like 18. And it's not even just a sports thing aside, right? Um, he had not always made the best decisions in life, right? Yes. I get from him to persevere, right? Even if it's something you brought on yourself, to always push forward. Find healing in what what broke or what broke you or whatever, whatever it is. But the mamba mentality is to succeed. Give your very best trying to succeed. So when you fail, because you will fail, you'll be so hungry to get back up. When you do it half-assed, you get knocked down. Well, I'm going to lay here for a little bit, lick my wounds. And, but he had that mama mentality. and was always like, further, more, better, better. Be better than I was last season. And the season before, like, that's a it's it's a crazy mindset. It's you really got to be like insane. I know sometimes I'm insane when it comes to poetry slams. Mm-hmm. I'm insane when it comes to writing poems. When it comes to memorizing poems, um, y'all had crush on here. She'll tell you like I write my ass off, and I can't stop because if I stop, I don't know. I don't know what happened if I stopped y'all. I don't even want to think about it. Don't stop. <laughs> Pick up a pen and like something, even if it's one sentence, I gotta keep that muscle sharp, keep it ready, man. Like, because there's some amazing poets in this world, man. Some very beautiful poets with different stories, different backgrounds, and different writing styles. And I hear it and I'm like, I can write my truth better than you write yours. Damn. you could say, yeah, I lost my dog, died, the mailman kidnapped my mom, all in the same day, right? I could write a poem about a pillowcase and win because I'm going to go back much harder into what it is I'm trying to pick from whatever story I'm telling, man. And that's the Kobe mama mentality right there. Yes, sir. It's a little toxic at times. But, you know. <laughs> can't, can't be. Just no, uh, I I had a question, but you kind of answered it. Uh, just, you know, legacy was my last question for you, but I think you really wrapped it up with, you know, your daughters, um, the mothers of your kids, um, just leaving a mark of, I did this using my passion, my purpose, my way. And I think that that's an incredible legacy um to to leave and to do it in a way that is vulnerable and um you know the the human aspect of it is not like and not to dismiss because we all have different talents but not all of our talents require us to be vulnerable and so poetry is something that required in order to be good at it like you said you have to that pillowcase it might be stained with tears that goes back to, you know, your um, uh, a painful spot in your childhood. And you can you're just going so much deeper. But who wants to tell that? Like, truthfully, like, that's not the conversation that you're just in the middle of Target. You meet someone and you just tell them that. So to, to escape to that space of vulnerability, I think is a little bit different than being, you know, a millionaire 
um, uh, athlete or just a just a player or just a person that's th playing a sport, but not showing that other side. And I think vulnerability. So I was going to ask you about legacy, but I feel like you already said it. So is there anything else that you would like, you know, to leave with our audience um, about yourself? Um, anything you'd like to share? Um, I would like to share. Uh, follow me on Instagram, Dreadful Poet. Dreadful underscore poet, but um, for any artist or anybody that has a passion, no matter what it is, um, poetry, drawing, fruit loop counting, like whatever, <laughs> go for it. Like, fucking go for it. I know this is going to cost you a lot. All you can think about is what you're going to lose. But I promise you, if your heart is in the right place and you set those intentions daily, you you you'll thank yourself for it. Just go for it. Just fucking do it. I'm gonna steal Nike shit. Just do it. Go for it. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it, Mr. Wayne Henry. Thank you again for joining us, sir. Thank um, you for having me. No problem. No problem. And you already know where you can find. It. Tell them where they can find you again. Um, on IG, dreadful underscore poet. That's D R E A D F U L underscore poet, P O E T. Yes, that will be in the description. And you know, you can follow us at FME underscore podcast. We're on Facebook from My Experience Podcast. There's a group. Join the group and please like the page. You can follow me personally on Instagram at complete spell with the K underscore vision. Jessica, where can they find you? You can find me at Exposure on Instagram at E-X-P-O-Z-H-E-R uh, as well as online at JessicaRenee.com. Yes, yes, yes. Thank y'all again for continuing to support the show. We definitely know you got some gems out of this one. This brother will be back on because we still have a ton of questions to ask him. But until next time, ladies and gentlemen, take care of yourselves physically, mentally, financially and spiritually. We'll see y'all next time. Peace.